Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 43. It's good to be back with you. I'm Liam. I'm an early childhood teacher working in operations, and I'm joined by Lisa Bryant, a writer and advocate based in New South Wales. How are you going, Lisa? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Now, it's Leanne's turn to take a break this week, so it's just the two of us. We normally get into trouble when it's just the two of us. We, we have, I think our last yes. episode, the two of us, was <laughs> controversial, wasn't it, about quality ratings in between? She kind of controls us a I bit, know. I think. I know. <laughs> well, this, the, the main topic tonight shouldn't be any cause to go on any long-term crazy rants or anything. Yeah, you never know. You never know. <laughs> uh, how was your break? Oh, it was wonderful. I went to Tasmania. I did look at this, there were some pretty good photos being posted on Facebook which, with more than yeah. one glass of wine I saw. Oh, shh, shh. You're not <laughs> supposed to mention that. <laughs> but it does. It is a state that produces very beautiful wine, so it would be actually you know, um, not very good if you didn't taste their produce. It's sampling local culture. You have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. All right, so we've got a few things to bring you on the news list this week before we get on to our main topic. Uh, the first one is about um, – I love this headline, Lisa. I'm actually, there's no way this, this article can live up to the headline, but um, you, you, you're going to have to disabuse me of it. But it's spies to crack down on fake daycare. Are ASIO tackling the early childhood sector now? <laughs> no. What do you – look, it, it actually gets better. The actual headline is – Kindy cops crack down on fake family daycare. Worst sequel ever. Kindergarten so cop does, does paperwork. The, the Department of Education Compliance Branch would be um, pleased to know that they are now considered kindergarten cops. Um, but, you know, that's what they are. And it's basically another thing about family daycare rotters. Um, and at this particular one there was one of this one of these articles in every state in Australia but this was particular one it's about New South Wales and it said that um, you know early childhood education Minister Sarah Mitchell will grant inspectors new powers to enter the homes of family daycare operators without warning from October 1 in other words you know the regulations and the law are changing nationally. But, you know, no, the New South Wales Minister will grant inspectors new powers to crack down on dodgy family daycare. So it's just a, a, an interesting um, way of looking at how uh, a story is being presented and why the story was being presented at this point in time because it all um, came out from Simon Birmingham's office we just need to question why did all of these articles about family daycare come out at this point in time? In some of them, he was having real goes at some of the states and um, uh, particularly South Australia was in his eyes, you know, as to um, why they hadn't done as much, um, you know, quality checking, why they hadn't done as much rating on some services. So it was all of a bit of a hodgepodge, but it's more kind of presenting education care services as rotors. And I couldn't so, help but notice I think the two ones he had a big fat go of because um, in the third news item we'll, we'll be bringing this as well was uh, South Australia and Victoria, I think, and they'd happen to be Labor governments, wouldn't they, Lisa? Funny that, isn't it? It's amazing. It? What a coincidence. 
A federal liberal, a federal coalition government having a go at state Labor government? Gee, <laughs> never heard of that before. It's shocking, isn't it? All right, thanks for that. We'll continue to track uh, Rort Alert as it as it comes on. It seems to be almost every week now. They're um, they're doing that. It must be yeah. usually a good sign they're not doing so well politically. Best to have a go at the uh, the Rort <laughs> Alert. Um, I'm going to bring you one now from the Daily Telegraph, which uh, has the headline: uh, "Cash strapped parents are racking up childcare fees and failing to pay them." Um, and this uh, been p- pretty much appears to be just from a debt collection. Uh, agency who just seems to be after a bit, press of, bit of a bit yeah. of yeah, just seems to be a bit after a bit of press. So I'd never heard of this debt collection agency now, and they've got basically a a bit of free advertising there, and also a media release from the Australian Childcare Alliance, the uh, president Paul Mondo. So um, I mean, I won't go into all the details, but I mean, this is this has been a bit of a recurrent. This isn't exactly a new problem. They just seem to be suggesting it's bigger than usual, which I guess is hard to anecdotally prove, but. Um, it, I guess it's more sort of evidence that the uh, the issues with the sector in terms of how it's funded and how people pay and that it's not going to be solved by the, the, the Jobs for Families package. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what else to sort of do here, but this, it, it, it is pretty incredible when you look at the amount families have to spend on early childhood education over the course of, you know, four to five years, if that's how long, long their children that we're, we're loading sort of, we're putting people... Right at the risk of you know being uh, you know having a you know debt history and a debt just to ensure their children have access to early childhood education. Oh, but it's okay, Liam, because when the Jobs for Families package comes in, they'll be thirty dollars a week better off. Yeah, that'll solve all their problems. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And then you're going to bring us the last one, which is uh, which I yeah, referred to look, it earlier. I won't, I won't go through it much because I've um, already alerted to it, but this is the article where um, Burmo has a go at the Wetherill Labor government um, about uh, how many services they've um, rated and how many they haven't. Um, essentially, South Australia has got 19% of services um, which haven't yet been rated, which they say it's um, uh, almost double the national average. But then he somehow, you know, um, the state government responded that, you know, yeah, but 46% of the services we have rated exceed the, the NQS and we've got no significant improvement required services. So, yeah, you know, lay office. But then he brings it in about, you know, that um, it's because they haven't, somehow rated services that it means that um you know that the rotors could get out yeah the link there doesn't make any sense to me either yeah they've they've somehow suggested they're connected well i think it's just more you know like in my conspiracy kind of world (laughs) it's just more of him presenting childcare services as rotors you know, that don't have good quality even. Yeah. And that are hand in hand with Labor governments and, you yeah. know, I mean, what the o- comes out of that. Yeah. I mean, the other thing to consider here, and look, and I know a CEQA don't do the direct uh, assessment of services. That's at a state 
and territory level. But I always come back to that stat that came out um, just after the Jobs for Families package was passed that, you know, the government's budgeted more for the uh, the advertising campaign for the Jobs for Families package than they're budgeted for a CEQA. And look, th- this was always going to be an issue. Is that, and yes, the, the, the state education departments in the end have the responsibility to get this done. But when they have the national body, you know, not funded enough to, you know, be training assessors and to be keeping up with that stuff, this was this is fairly inevitable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, we'll have more news articles to bring you next week. We've kept it pretty light this week because we're the the main topic for tonight is going is going to be very much informed by uh, items in the news over the last well few months. But really, I mean, for, for as long as I can remember, sort of reading the news, we we wanted to uh, particularly we'll, we'll get into this in the main topic, but um, we wanted to discuss uh, why children's rights are so hated in some sort of sections of the media, and we're just going to be sort of posing that question to each other, and then uh, we're going have a really sort of brief chat Lisa you had with uh, Dr. Red Ruby Scarlet after that as well because this has uh, certainly been something that's been on her radar for the last couple of weeks so uh, stay with us for a quick musical break and we'll be back with that main topic all right welcome back yes so the big picture question for tonight, this is what I put on the news list anyway, and neither you nor Leanne stopped me. Is why does News Limited hate <laughs> children's rights? <laughs> well, I did want to correct you at that point because oh. Liam, they're no longer News Limited. Oh, News Corp. It's news Corp. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. So, why does News Corp <laughs> hate children's rights? Who can keep up anymore? But, I mean, Lisa, I mean, you, this is particularly where your you know background as a journo and in particular that would be. I mean, do you want to give the glib answer to that glib question first before we we, we delve into it? Look, you know, the, the glib answer is that, you know, they're right-wing media. They like sensationalism, sensationalism themselves. So, you know, anything that can, you know, uh, raise people's ire about what people are doing to children. And sell papers. Um, they'll go for yeah, yeah. so I think and you know, to, yeah. assuming that not everyone is as insane as us, Lisa, and eagerly scours the the, the major media for every single you know early childhood mention. Do you want to? So in terms of, I guess, why why are we singling out News Corp and 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 who are News Corp? So who, what are the papers and media outlets we're talking about here? Okay, so we're talking about like they've both got national media, like the Australian. Um, the Australian newspaper, which is a very influential, although small readership newspaper that covers all of Australia, and it's by far the the most right wing media, um, right wing newspaper in Australia. And then in each state, they've got a leading capital city newspaper. So in New South Wales, the Daily Telegraph, in Melbourne, the Herald Sun, Queensland, the Courier Mail, um, South Australia, the Advertiser, and in Tasmania, the Mercury. Um, Sorry, I don't know. I think in Northern Territory, they have, what's that really crazy? The NT News. The NT News, yeah. Um, if I covered it, uh, Western Australia, they must have one, but I'm not sure what it is. Sorry. I think it's the West Australian they have there. The, right. Okay. What's the only state <coughs> and, and territory that's free of them, Lisa? Uh, the AC. The ACT. AC something. <laughs> yeah. Hey, go Canberra. 
Um, but I think that mostly that's just because the city isn't big enough to sustain more than one paper and um, with the Canberra Times, that's, you know, it really it couldn't have two competing ones in Canberra. No. But, yeah, so, so you know, it's a company that makes a lot of, a lot of money from um, – from creating controversy. So it's the same company that owns Fox News um, in America, uh, which uh, Donald Trump will tell you is not fake news. That's actually <laughs> real news. And, um, uh, yeah, and, yeah, it, it survives on creating controversy and presenting a very right-wing view of life. So when we're when we're talking about, I guess, why does News Corp hate um, children's rights and stuff? What what are some of the examples where we're, we're talking about here? What are some some articles you can think of where they sort of uh, pushed back on the rights agenda? They probably call it in early childhood education and care. Well, I think what, the things that we're thing um, that they've always been strong about is that there's a cor- no correlation between an early childhood education and childcare. So they believe that, you know, childcare is what happens up until four and then after that, you know, you start early education, but really it's just, you know, um, got nothing to do with that. They hate what they call creeping credentialism. So they really hate, um, you know, the idea that childcare educators are in fact educators. They just want them to be childminders. They don't believe that you need any kind of degree to look after children and or diploma. You know, really um, any grandmother could do it. Um, <laughs> they also hate everything to do with um with regulations, so the over-regulating of the um, of the sector is something that they hate because it both gets in the way of industry being able to earn money, um, but it it's also just you know like part of that mad you know, labor government kind of idea that you need to keep children safe. So they're you know I suppose the main kind of themes they have, and um, yeah, and some of their journalists, you know, pursue those themes. Have particular with- bees in their bonnets. Yeah. <laughs> and I think one of the I mean, so I wanna to refer to a specific article that probably um look we would have we would have grabbed or got around to this topic eventually anyway, because the Australian in particular and the Daily Telly love to come back to these topics. But there was a particular article, um and look people probably would have heard in the mainstream media just about some some local councils that have been um essentially deciding not to celebrate Australia Day and not hold citizenship ceremonies. Um there was an article in mid August, um uh, that that referred to the Social Justice and Early Childhood Group. And look, and we've referred to that group before, and we've had one of the key players on there, um, Dr. Red Ruby Scarlett, on the show uh, a couple of times, I think. And they and there were some posts there sort of just celebrating that decision by the ARA Council. Uh, these were now the Social Justice and Early Childhood Group at the time was a public group, and they were found by journos who apparently had nothing better to write on those days than suggest that this was creeping, you know, sort of attempts to warp children's 
minds. And look, and this was, um, and we, and I'm being sort of glib about it, but a, <clears throat> I just want to acknowledge this was a pretty difficult and challenging time for the for the people in social justice and early childhood. They are all fierce advocates and. You know, don't need my, don't need me to prop them up or make sure they're okay. But, you know, this was, this was in a national newspaper. It then feeds into the right wing talkback, uh, radio stuff. And it's sort of, and the whole push is about denigrating the idea that we should even be discussing social justice in, in early childhood. But essentially, I mean, the headlines that it says it all, which is childcare push to scrap Australia Day, which, you know, is, is completely inappropriate and not what the discussion was about uh, anyway but it's a really good highlight that they just seem to be terrified of the idea that that we would even discuss any of these issues a with young children or that they would be discussing you know providers and services and and people who are managing programs being delivered to young children did I mean, Lisa, did this one you I mean you've been following the media on this a lot longer than I have did this one seem particularly sort of a bit vociferous to you um, God, what does that mean? Vociferous? <laughs> That's my show-off word. I like that word. Particularly sort of aggressive, I guess. This is my show-off oh, right. word for the day. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, show-off. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, look, I don't think it did. I think it was just that it was targeted at um, uh, early education. I think this kind of thing happens to schools all the time. And I think it happens, you know, like it's a stock standard one that they trot out every Christmas and every yeah. Easter, you know, the childcare centre that banned Santa Claus, the childcare centre that banned the Easter bunny, you know, like they're really easy stories to write. And I, I watched one service once, they just got rang up and said, are you having, you know, a Christmas concert? And the director went, oh, no, no, we're not having a Christmas concert this year. Next day they're on the front page of the telegraph as the yeah. you know childcare centre that had banned Christmas and it wasn't like yeah, you know, they just hadn't gotten their act together to have a Christmas concert. <laughs> it wasn't a social justice statement, it was a lack of organisation. <laughs> so I don't necessarily think that this was any more whatever that word you used was, vociferous, but <laughs> I think um it I think Actually, what happened, and you'll see this from the interview that will run later that I did with Red Ruby Scarlet about what happened. I think the fact that it was a woman that responded, like the initial um, response in the paper wasn't um, wasn't as you know as attacked as much. But then when Red um, took up the banner and went on radio and then TV. By that stage, it had morphed from Australia Day to Father's Day that childcare centres were banning. And I think it came in with strong themes of we hate outspoken women. Um, And so she copped it on that ground. And I think it was also um, copped on the grounds of uh, the Safe Schools Project. So... It was um, like, you know, there's a lot of angst around because of the same-sex marriage debate, etc. And it felt like another thing where children were being taught the wrong things by crazed social justice warriors. But I also think that it, um, it particularly raised the ire of men's groups um, <laughs> uh, who saw it as 
crazy feminist lesbians wanting to get rid of Father's Day. <laughs> so I think all those things came into it as yeah. much as anything else. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and particularly listening to, you know, the tone of some of the interviews and, and then Dear God, which I always try and avoid, is reading the comments and some of the articles it it always amazes me that in these right-wing sort of newspapers, they're the ones sort of going on and on about free speech, which to them means the right to be racist and bigot- bigoted. Uh, but as soon as anyone dares to have a, you know, a, a sensitive discussion about social justice issues, they need to be leapt on, particularly if they're women. Uh, like, but, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Which, like, yeah, the, the way that um, Dr. Scarlett was, uh, you know, attacked as a woman and you'll hear some of those kind of attacks that she talks about in the interview you know it wasn't just the views that were attacked it was the fact that she was fat and dotty and couldn't hmm. get a man yeah you know and like uh, yeah utterly despicable yeah i don't know but but I don't know what else to say. To say, I mean, Lisa, to you, what are you what What are you worried of is the possible effect of this sort of this? I mean, it is this over the top sort of a very aggressive. Uh, you'd have to call it a campaign. The amount of times it's come up, and you've, you've you've listed some fantastic examples there with you know the same schools and same sex marriage being you know linked to you know every non politically correct sort of or every politically correct argument under the sun. What are you worried of the effects of this kind of Attacks on, on, and we'll call it what they are. They're they're attacks on people and ways of thought. That, um, like, what are you worried that will mean for people speaking up in the sector? Look, I think Red covers this in the interview as well. I think that some people are very pleased that anyone's standing up for the sector, um, and that's people from the sector. So I think it kind of coalesces the sector around speaking up a bit in a way that's good, but it means that the next time somebody is asked to speak up, they'll go, do Mm. I want to be that person? Yeah. Yeah. I think that example you gave, Lisa, as well, of the, the, I mean, a bit of a humorous example, but the, the, you know, the preschool that wasn't running the Christmas celebration, I think it also is a bit of, it has a bit of a chilling effect or it makes services think twice about, how they promote or talk about stuff. So, you know, we, you know, in the organisation I work for, we do have some strong social justice approaches to the way we do things. We don't do, you know, Christmas celebrations. We do celebrations of children's work and achievements at the end of the year. We publicise those through our, you know, newsletters and through emails out to family. It's really because of the way the world works now and how interconnected it all is via technology, you know, it would create one disgruntled family member to forward one email to, you know, a news court paper for us to potentially be facing a media, um, you know, onslaught. And, sure. and Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and I would, you know, I would love to be <clears throat> the bravest person in the world who goes, well, I don't, I don't care. But, you know, at the end of the day, I do. And, and to be honest, that, that that's always slightly worried me. Not and Because at the end of the day, the centre would be copying the brunt of the of the nastiness around that and that words can be twisted and views are you know, not, not... Well, yes, it could be the centre. It could be you individually as well. Like, think of what happened to the that academic behind the, you know, the um, uh, safe schools program. Mm. Yeah, she ended up losing her job because of it. Yeah. So, I I mean, I think there is 
that I think you're, you've, you've hit on the point. There's a danger that people will feel less able to to speak up on these issues, which you know is absolutely the outcome that these sort of people want. Which is why we can't even have a discussion, you know, about something as which should be as non-contentious as you know having a sensitive uh, approach to Indigenous Australians on something like Australia Day. But I guess what do we, Lisa? Given all that, what what do we think services and, and I guess individual teachers and educators and advocates should do, knowing all this? Well, look, one of the things, and like I've been speaking to Red about this over the last week as she decided whether she'd do more media or what she'd do, and one of the things that I say to the sector quite openly, and not I'm not you know, specifically talking to individuals here, but to everyone, and I'm doing it from my slightly outside of the sector position, you present your cases really badly. <laughs> <laughs> Educators and teachers are not very good at explaining themselves. So, for example, why don't you have Father's Day? It should be broken down into this most simplest thing of because it makes children that don't have fathers upset and we don't want to upset children. Now, there's obviously a lot more behind that but if you take that really simple line, then every no one wants to upset children. Yeah, you know? like they're like mothers. Yeah, you, you know? but are the like, arguments you being, don't want to upset them? But are the arguments being twisted, Lisa? So do you think it's that? I don't, look, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but do, but do you think that people aren't making that argument or that that argument's not being reported? So they're they're picking up on something else that was said in the interview or. That that, that that specific point of view isn't being presented properly? Or do you think it is more of an issue either we've got to be a bit clearer about how we promote Look, this stuff? The, the media will always, um, you know, uh, attack you and explain, you know, uh, edit you and explain things badly, and Red goes into that a bit um, on the interview as well. But I still don't think that the sector explains things simply enough as to why it's important. You know, like if I said to you, give me a one, you know, two-sentence answer, why would a centre uh, not be celebrating Australia Day? What would you do? How would you respond? You're putting me on spot. I'd use long words like vociferous yep. or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Did it, Lisa? That's hard. I'd, I'd have to go back and think about it. It's hard to put into one word. I mean, I could. I mean, I would probably say okay, that. Okay, and what I'd what I'd say is, if you <laughs> can't do that, it's an elevator pitch. Yeah. If you don't have that as an elevator pitch, then maybe you should, in fact, be celebrating it. Because if you're going to go out and believe in something as strongly as an educator that you're making a decision about something, then you need to be able to summarise why. Can I? So I'm gonna I'm gonna try now because I refuse to leave this uh, podcast without having had at least a go. Yep. I go. We don't celebrate Australia Day because not all of our families uh, celebrate. No, sorry, I'm gonna say because uh, it doesn't mean it's not positive for all of the families we work with. As an elevator pitch. Okay. I can do and better, I'm, but that's I'd, just my go quickly because you put me on the spot. Yeah. No. And I, just to give you an you know a, a, an answer with that, I'd say. Mm, it's not positive for all families. I like this I live uh, feedback and review I'm getting of my publicity. <laughs> this is good. I don't necessarily think that's you know, a good way. I'd just say 
our curriculum demands that we, um, you know, ensure that all children have a feeling of belonging in their service. And for some children, um, you know, uh, some Aboriginal children in our services, Australia Day makes is the one day that makes them feel that they don't belong. So for that reason, we look at other ways of celebrating Australia, uh, right. Australian culture through the year. Well, that's better than mine. But look, I've yeah. set the bar really low. So listeners, if you can send it a better one, comment on Facebook, <laughs> send us on Twitter. I've set the bar low. You're going to do better than that. No, you haven't. But I'm just giving you feedback so that you, you know, like you have to, you have to explain exactly what it yeah. does to children. You have to get people to think about children in your answer, not about your service. You know, it's the effect on children. And then you have to give them an out that they don't think that you're writing off all of Australian culture because you're writing off Australia Day. Good advice, Lisa. Well, I think we want to make sure we uh, we have time to hear your interview with Red Really Ruby Scarlett. We I, I want to add my thanks to to Dr. Scarlett for agreeing to chat with us after what's been a very difficult week, I think, for her and her colleagues. But uh, let's we'll head over to that interview after a quick break and then be back with our recommendations uh, and wrap up. So stay with us. Hello and welcome back to the Early Education Show, Red Ruby Scarlet. Thanks for agreeing to talk to us today. We, um, Our topic tonight is just about the media and the early education sector and you've had a bit of personal um, you know, uh, contact with the media over recent weeks and there's had some specific effects. So can you just tell me how you got involved in talking about early education in the media? Sure. Um, just first of all, thanks for having me back. And I'm the greatest fan of this absolutely wonderful early childhood education show. So it's good to be able to contribute. Yeah, so good good work, everyone. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, there was, you know, a decision in two councils in Melbourne to change the date of Australia Day. Part of those councils are some children's centres and those children's centres came on board with enacting uh, that policy. Then um, there was a newspaper article that came out and it was based on, I guess, bringing together the councils changing the date, the centres that were following up on that policy, plus some discussions that they'd seen in the social justice group. For example, one of them was about some uh, particular educators and centres who um, were talking about how to do Father's Day in an inclusive way and some people had called it Special Persons Day. There were other celebrations that were touched on, but those were the two key issues uh, that uh, that hit the media. Um, there was okay, so once it hit the media, how did you then get involved? So there was a newspaper article that um, had interviewed Kathy Gelding from the Social Justice Group and it also mentioned my role. From there, um, I was then contacted to speak on radio and then I was contacted to uh, go on to the Today Tonight Tonight show, the TV show. So I participated in all of those things. I, I was lucky because I had... You know, when when you're working with the media, it's kind of quick and dirty. You've got to get in. You've got to participate or not participate, think through what you need to say. Um, and I guess 
suss out what those TV shows or radio stations are. So I knew that the radio station would be relatively conservative and that Today Tonight would also be looking for some kind of shock factor. So there was. So what actually happened once you spoke on them? When I when I spoke on the radio show, because it was live, there was scope for me to navigate that conversation um, to, I guess, nudge it in the direction that I wanted to take. Of course, the radio presenter was nudging it the other way, but I, I had a little bit more agency to kind of direct that conversation. When I went to do the TV interview, it was pre-recorded. It was a 30-minute pre-record that was then edited down to a three-minute piece. Um, when I when I went to do the TV show, the questions that they asked me were not actually the questions that went to air. So they'd recorded the whole thing and then they'd, they'd asked questions that I guess they wanted answer to, answers to and pulled out my responses. So I knew full well going into those interviews that those kinds of things were possible based on, you know, the audience and how they get their ratings, etc. Um, were I you shocked at the extent that your answers were edited or different questions were asked to your answers? I wasn't shocked because I kind of knew going in. However, one thing I'm a little bit proud of myself of, and I'm Lisa, I know that you'll be coaching me in the opposite way, is that because I'm rather waffly, um, it was hard for them to get little grabs to answer their questions. So you can actually see, particularly the Today Tonight uh, interview was quite disjointed and the one waffly piece that they got in that I'm really glad they did uh, didn't assert that I was I'm out I'm on a rampage to ban Father's Day and not Mother's Day which was the the backlash Um, but in fact that this was about how particular communities negotiated what worked for particular communities and that you know educators do a really good job of that in early childhood unfortunately that particular message didn't get through to the wider world um, a fantasy has come along that I'm on a rampage to ban Father's Day and so therefore that's been the knock-on. The The question of banning Father's Day literally came from the shock jocks. That was the headline, that was the, ra- the radio interviewer's opening line, it was the TV interviewer's opening line and, of course, that's what people hang on to. So there were some really interesting lessons around what people actually hear when they're engaged in um, those media processes and also you know, how you how you get to it. What are the traps that you can fall into um, if you give a yes or no answer? So I tried to avoid... Okay, that. so let me yes just no move... Let me just ask um, what happened as a result of those interviews, both to you personally and within the sector. So let's start off with the sector. How did the sector respond to those articles? Overwhelmingly, the sector were um, in support of, number one, the, that we're an inclusive profession and that negotiating inclus- inclusion and belonging and children's well-being is uh, paramount. And there was a, even though there were slight disagreements about how that would look, the overwhelming support in the community. Um, so people liked the job. idea of maybe, you know, celebrating Special Persons Day rather than Father's Day. I don't know that it was rather than. I think this is where we're falling to pieces. So it's Father's Day and Special Persons Day right. or it's um, a day that's not Mother's Day or Father's Day that's special people in your family because nobody's going to argue celebrating family, are they? So I, I think that was where the agreement was and people had different ways of reviewing that. Okay. And you said that people um, essentially in the sector essentially approved of that message that you were carrying. 
That's right. You also mentioned to me um, previously that there was a bit of positive feedback about you taking a leadership um, role in that space. When I uh, I wanted to, because I was speaking on behalf of the social justice group, and whilst our Facebook page isn't the group, but that's one of the fora that the social justice group committee carry, I felt that I needed, you know, some transparency around that process. I also knew that people who got involved in some of the media discussions, the bravery and the courage of them was fantastic and amazing. I wanted to make sure that there was a bit of a binding narrative around this and that people had a space to talk. Now, we, we can't guarantee that. I'm sure there's people who haven't spoken out, but I hope they do in our social justice group. But I, I wanted to give an account of what was happening and why, what decisions were made and why. And so overwhelmingly the response to that was, thank you, I feel courageous um, you know, thank you for speaking on my behalf. Um, you know, now I've got a bit more courage to fight for social justice. These issues are really important to my heart. Thank you for being a voice. And so whilst I don't want to make that about me, but I think that having all of those people giving those comments to me says that my voice was speaking for those many people. And it's always for sure. And I, I think that, yeah, like I've always found that people in the sector love it when our sector gets represented correctly in, in the, you know, in yeah. the, the media. Mm. Yeah. There was, you know, I, I think the, the courageous steps and the, the personal support, like there was what people said in the group and it was like, I love this group because it does this. I love this group because it does that. Then there was the personal support. I was like, I had literally hundreds of messages and I, I have actually replied individually to them. People, uh, A, just saying, I'm here to support you. B, here's a love heart. There was a few. And can I ask, um, Okay, so obviously people felt that you needed individual support. Why was that? Can you tell us about the trolling that happened? Yeah, so the original, on the, interestingly, on the radio show, I think it wasn't, it was posted on the website, but it wasn't posted on Facebook, which is interesting to see the difference between how people use the web and how they use social media. So because that didn't get posted up on the, on social media, I think that it, it didn't, create that space for trolling and the conversations I'd had with the producer and Neil Mitchell himself there was a joyful banter between us and I think that Neil Mitchell was the interviewer yes on the radio so there was kind of a a nice I don't know I think they were expecting me to be a crazy lefty and it wasn't we were laughing and having a joke and you know looking at our different points of view so that was very different to the the today tonight when today tonight went up it was it was framed up with that Father's Day, banning Father's Day, all of that very already adversarial, definitely looking for reaction and, you know, that's how they get ratings, etc. So the minute that went up, the way that the questions were framed, they know their audience. They know. Okay, they so, so you got negative stuff. Tell us, summarise that for me. What so the happened? negative feed, well, here's the interesting thing. The neg- most, not all, but most. No, don't tell me about content first of all. I want to hear about how did people, how did you get the negative feedback? The negative feedback came to me via my own Facebook page. It came to me through my messenger and it came th- to me through professional networks, through email, through my phone number, any, any possible potential public, uh, particularly social media, mostly Facebook, 
that's where um, the, the negative feedback came rushing through. What I need to make really clear is that the negative feedback wasn't actually about the issue. The negative feedback was um, violent. Um, I mean, I don't know if you want me to name some of it, but, you know, comments like lots of swear words saying, how dare you remove Father's Day, which I kind of, I get that people are impassioned about, but that's actually not what I said. Um, the other overwhelming response was, why do you want to get rid of Father's Day and not Mother's Day? You're a man-hater. And I was like, well, I actually did mention Mother's Day, but that got edited out. Um, then, you know, the other things, you know, just really terrible, terrible hate mail um, that has nothing to do with the topic at all. So, therefore, it's like, you know, um, overwhelmingly from whites gendered men, which says to me that I guess, you know, there's this, this kind of topic is emotive and it's so easily spun um, in, in a way that conjures up such terrible, terrible hatred, particularly toward women. The misogyny and the sexism is, is um, just... So I take it there was comments about your appearance. Yeah, I got called fat, ugly, dotty, dumb, unable to get a boyfriend, um, knew that I should be gang raped, that I was a threat to society, that I'm an idiot, that I shouldn't be anywhere near children, all of that sort of stuff. So none and, of which I And Red, how did, how did you, resp- like, how are you coping with that? Look, Lisa, there's these kinds of things, it's easy to, I don't want to blow off that those words don't have some kind of power. They're awful words to be said to you and written to you. I guess, though... Um, I I guess I feel quite steeled because it wasn't on topic and I've had really good support around me. I've had great advice given to me. I've got great professional networks. I've got really good people who advise me and they advise me by not by agreeing with me but giving me ideas and critiquing what I did that helps me go, yeah, I can think about this differently or I can respond or not respond. The other thing was making a deliberate choice to not engage with trolls. So anyone saying anything that's just ridiculously off the point and violent and whatever, uh, there was absolutely no engagement. So it, it's, it's screenshot it, report it, block, delete, and I'm putting together a great big email which I sent off to the police just to ensure my safety. And they said that they wanted to know, but, you know, our processes are that we're just keeping in touch with what's going on for you unless there's an actual death threat um, you know, they, they don't really take much action. And interestingly, trolls now, they've learnt not to do death threats. They tell you to kill yourself. So that way <laughs> they don't have a responsibility. And I'm like, I'm sorry, troll. I'm really too busy for that. <laughs> but, but I think that okay. So can I just ask, um, we really have to um, tie this up soon, but can I just ask yep. one question? Having sure. been through that experience... Would you warn other people in the sector from engaging with the media or what would you, you know, like what's the take-home from this? The take-home from this is that we've got an opportunity to learn about how to do this. I There are people who disagree with this and I think it's worthy of a debate sometime, somewhere. I probably need a bit more media coaching. Um, and so I've learnt that about myself. At the same time, I, I review those um, those two events well and I stand by what I said. So uh, I think that that's the lesson for us all. It's also about do we participate or do we not participate? Is it worthwhile participating in right-wing spaces or should we just stay in our own little bubble? 
Um, I've had different bits of advice from my colleagues and critique about that, which I'm now working through and enjoying working through to figure that out. I think that um, whilst it ha there has been a toll in terms of um, some of the ridiculous trolling, uh, I think the benefits have far outweighed. The positive messages far outweighed the manky ones. The collegiality that it's grown has been really, really fantastic. So if you look at those, you know, Catherine Bowne calls them those political op political opportune moments. She says it nicer than me, but she called them one of those politically opportune moments, even though there's this yucky bit, all of these other strengthening, courageous leadership collectiveness has actually come out of it. So let's take that, grow it, find the right advice and have a think about how and whether we participate in these things in the future. So I think that's the takeaway. Okay, cool. And is there, you know, like would you have liked to see other people from the sector participating, other organisations? Yeah, look, I... I I understand that people may say, look, that's not worth participating in, um, let's not go there. Uh, you know, I, I guess I would love to see the early childhood sector in the media more often, not just over wages, although I think that it's great, we get great media about that. This stuff is what they call the hard stuff. This isn't palatable. So to be able to get out there and talk about this stuff that has all of that other emotional stuff attached to it, I think finding ways to do that well, we all need to do, and I think it would be great if all of the early childhood organisations had a plan for what that looks like so that they could then come out in support because families are all over the country, families are all over the political spectrum, they're all involved with all of these early childhood organisations. Imagine if that was a consistent message. So I think that... Um, you know, some advice that you'd given me about children's well-being and how we frame this under something that we all care about, children's rights, children's well-being, etc. that could have been a very different conversation if other people had have come out uh, in support of that publicly. So yeah. I think there's an, another opportunity for another conversation to say, great, here's what we learned, how can we grow those connections and relationships in order that that can happen well next time and, and how can we be advised to do it? Um, with pith rather than waffle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't waffle that much. But at that point, I do need to stop you and say thank you very much. And I hope that the the trolling and the hate ma mail, you know, slows down soon. And thank you for standing up for children's rights. Thank you, Lisa. It's been a pleasure to be here. All right, we're back. Thanks again to Dr. Red Ruby Scarlet for uh, having a chat with Lisa. We really appreciate it and lots of lessons there, I think, for educators and advocates and and services. And as I think I, I we, we had someone mention on our Facebook page um, last week when you were here, Lisa, I think Leanne and I just acknowledged um, the work social justice and early childhood had done last week. And I think we just quickly put, you know, they'll always, they always have and always will have our support and and that continues as of this podcast. Uh, but let's let's do our recommendations for the week. Now, Leanne uh, had to pull out quite late to the episode tonight, so she'd already given us her recommendation, and it's one that I would highly recommend as well. So I'm going to do hers on her behalf. She's recommending a part of the podcast, which we haven't done in a while. It's the Revisionist History Podcast, which is a really fantastic US-based one uh, by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, who sort of looks at uh, accepted or, or things that are sort of forgotten from history. And he has this fantastic three-part series, which which is episodes four, five, and six of the podcast on the American education system. Uh, so Leanne's recommended you start there with episode four, which is called Carlos Doesn't 
remember. Uh, they're really, they're, they're gripping stories, about half an hour each, really recommend listening to them. The episode six in particular, the third in the series, left me just sort of furious with anger about how inequitable the system in the, in the US is, but definitely uh, well worth a listen. And then what are you bringing us, Lisa? Look, I'm bringing us a very good piece of writing, an excellent piece of writing, obviously fueled by anger. And what I'm bringing you is a piece of writing by Liam McNicholas. You know that yeah. guy? Strange, Who's that guy? Funny guy? Sounds like a handsome yeah, genius. Strange... <laughs> Maybe. Um, okay, so what it is is um, I think you got very annoyed once you looked at the new marketing for the Jobs for Families package, which has kind of been a bit named the child, Jobs for Families childcare package or the childcare package. Um, but as Liam points out in this article, that nowhere does it ever talk about education anymore. So, you know, we're no longer in the early education and care sector. We're now just in the childcare sector. And he articulates it so well that I thought that everybody actually needs to read it. So please jump on. Even if you don't normally go and read the recommendations, do this week. Go and have a look at mm. Liam's article. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. Look, I won't, I'll, I'll let it stand for itself. I pretty much cover everything I want to cover in the piece. But, um, it just always reminds me because particularly since the start of the pod, I used to blog quite a lot, but with the podcast, I just have less time for it. So I pretty much, you can pretty much guarantee now there'll only be a new podcast if I'm absolutely furious about something. So a pretty new blog. <laughs> then a I new blog. blog. That's how I get it out of my system. Um, yeah, so thanks for sharing that, Lisa. You, you, I think that's the second time you shared one of my pieces. So I'm uh, very, very grateful. Um, and then my one's another US-based one. So we've got, we're a bit overloaded with US stories this week, but that's all right, which is, um, I, I won't go too much into it, but, uh, it's from a, uh, independent journal, an independent sort of education online site called Chalkbeat. Um, and it just talks about the inequity in New York City, uh, with early childhood centers that, uh, due to a bunch of recent reforms, more sort of young infant children are accessing services, but that, as usual, the, ch- the, uh, children of poor families and disadvantaged families are the ones that aren't getting, getting access. And they're the ones that all the research tells us, uh, most needs to access. So look, it's, it's a story we've sort of seen and heard before, but I uh, really recommend just looking at lots of stories and lots of uh, sort of advice and, and and parallels with the situation here in Australia as well. And it's just sort of amazing that so two such wealthy countries just can't sort of seem to get this right at the moment. For sure. Yeah. Well, that's it for another week. We thank you for, for sticking with us. We do have uh, one bit of exciting bit of business before we wrap up, though. We're announcing the winner of the, the competition, our first ever competition, which is winning a copy of uh, Fair's Fair by uh, by people who appeared on the show today, so Lisa and, and Dr. Scarlett. So we thank you both for, for, for offering, up the, offering up the book as a prize. And I'm happy to announce, and see now I've closed the link as soon as I've said that, but I'm happy to announce that the winner is, uh, Romana Freeman, who posted and and into the competition, posted a fantastic uh, aerial shot of her service uh, with the Northern Territory. So she did a fantastic job. So I was she is definitely worthy of uh, winning this book. So uh, we'll be sending that book out to you um, as soon as we can get you organised with a with a stamp and a, pan- a package, Lisa. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> and thanks everyone that for you know that um, made an application. If you didn't win, you know they are still for sale, and <laughs> um, 
There's actually another free one on offer, which is if you find the line in there, most designed to get news limited up in arms or in particular Miranda Devine from News Limited, there's another free book there going. Oh, particularly so good given, actually given tonight's finds episode. Book, finds the line in the book and lets us know what it is, then uh, um, you, know, you might be able to win another one. You've got a second chance. Fantastic. Um, And just a reminder to everyone as well, we have our first live show coming up in November. We're all ridiculously excited about that. Liam, people have actually booked to come. I know. Come to it. It's so shocking. My God, it's scary. I know. People, you have listened to the show, haven't you, people? You know this is as good as it gets. Anyway, they're still choosy to come. So we're we're beyond chuffed that people are doing that. If you haven't had a chance to check it out yet or get tickets, head to earlyeducationshow.com forward slash live. Um, you know, if we if this is good fun and a big hit, we'd love to to do more and, you know, go to some other states as well and, and uh share the early education show love. So please get on to us and um and yeah, come along. It's gonna be a fun night. We're gonna have lots of fun. So Yeah, uh, it's in a beautiful venue and we'll have beautiful food and um maybe even um, beautiful beautiful hosts, <laughs> maybe. Um, nah, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> Leanne's pretty good looking. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. She can be the poster girl for the early education show. <laughs> so that's it for another episode. We we thank you all for listening to us. Um, you can find the show online at earlyeducationshow.com. Uh, while you're there, if you're feeling like you're enjoying the show and want to give us a, give us a hand, we'd really love your support. If you click on support the show, that'll take you to our Patreon page where you can support the show for as little as $1 a month. We haven't had a new patron for quite a while. This is my slight begging bit. Uh, we, we'd, lo- we'd love to have a new patron. We need patrons. Uh, we need patrons. It means we can do more fun stuff and I can we can get better equipment and have more live shows and have better food and that kind of stuff and send out more books in terms of competitions. Um, and it just, you know, is a great way. It means we can... We can we can do some more fun stuff with the show. So any support you can give us there is appreciated. If you can't do that, head to the Apple Podcast Store and give us a rating and review. Um, that does something weird to the algorithms in iTunes and means more people can find the show. So that's really appreciated as well. Uh, you can find you can get in touch with the show by emailing us, earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Early Edu Show. We're pretty close to 1,000 likes on our Facebook page. So if you want to share us out and get us up to 1,000, we'd be grateful with that as well. Uh, you can also find find all three of us individually on Twitter. Uh, I'll, Leanne is at Leanne M. Gibbs 3. I like how we're both better at saying Leanne Tandle yeah, than she is herself. <laughs> Track it out there. I'm at Liam McNicholas. And I'm at Lisa J. Bryant. And until next week, uh, we hope you have another fantastic week and it's goodbye from me. And from me. There's and no one else, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Brian. No, but Leanne would say goodbye if she was here. That's true. <laughs>